God, thank you so much uh, for allowing us to worship you. God, we pray for the Wilson family, uh, that you would give them uh, peace, peace that only you can give. We pray for those of us who are here and those who are streaming online, uh, that we would open our hearts to the words uh, that Dave has prepared for us. I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Hey, good morning. Welcome. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. And let me ask you this. It's 1980. I mean, that was a good year. I ain't going to lie to you. Uh, 1980. You're offered the opportunity to buy a thousand shares of Apple stock at $22 a share. Do you do it? Yes! Absolutely you do it. Now let me ask you this. It's the early 20th century. You're about to go on the adventure of a lifetime. You're going to get on board the beautiful ocean liner, the Titanic. Do you do it? No! Now let me ask you this. It's 1900 B.C., and you are offered the chance to buy a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath ranch in the beautiful valley of Judea in the suburbs of Sodom. It's a really good bargain. Do you do it? No. Now, in all of those stories... You have the advantage of what? Hindsight. Hindsight is always 2020. It's safe. You could say 2020. It's okay. <laughs> Hindsight is 2020. But listen, we're going to be in Genesis 19 this morning, and you're going to learn the story of what happens to Sodom. But, but what I want you to know is that all through the Bible... Sodom stands as a picture of the promise of God's judgment, but also the promise of God's rescue. And I want you to know that Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. You say, well, that's quite a heart lifter. Jesus saves us. That's good. The wrath to come. It's also good. If you have the hindsight certainty of a future reality, then you have every reason to run to Jesus and find safety in Him. And that's what I want for you more than anything else. I want you to find rescue. I want you to find salvation. I want you to find in Christ a shelter. He's offered. He's offered to you. And I don't want anyone here to look back at the end and to wish that in hindsight they had put their trust in Christ. Oh, we're going to learn from Sodom that it's possible to have hindsight certainty of a future reality so that we would have every reason not to try harder to be good, 
but to run to Jesus Christ for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. Turn to Genesis 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, we'll spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So last week we met these two men, they're messengers of the Lord, and when we met them last week, the Lord was with them. And Strider helped us see that that was Jesus, and that Jesus had been going with the messengers toward Sodom because they had heard a great outcry from Sodom, and God was coming to check it out. Now, the two messengers come, and they move into town, and we meet Lot. And Lot is in Sodom. And what do we learn about Lot in these first verses? First, we learn that Lot has risen in the hierarchy of Sodom to a place of privilege. He's risen to a place of leadership. So you're talking to someone, you've met them for the first time, they say, oh, do you have a family? Oh, yes, I have a son. Oh, tell me about your son. Oh, my son is very successful. He's risen to a place of, of top leadership in his town. Oh, really? Yes, he's on the city council. In fact, every time the city council gathers in the gates of the city, he's right there in the midst of them. That's amazing. Where is he a member of the city council? Las Vegas. Oh, Vegas. This is worse. This is Sodom. He's risen to a place of leadership in the town, but we know with hindsight that's nothing to write home about. He's risen to the position of leadership in Sodom, a place of wickedness. But we learn something else about Lot. Because Lot welcomes these strangers, invites them into his home, and he sets a feast before them. And then we see this very unusual little detail. He gives them unleavened bread. What's with that? Well, that's the, this is the first time that leaven is mentioned in the Bible. This is the first time that anyone gathering around a table to eat a feast and to share unleavened bread happens in the Bible. But it's not the first time that people reading the Bible had been eating a feast and sharing unleavened bread. Because the people who are reading Genesis 19 for the first time, for the last 40 years, they've been remembering a time when there was a feast and there was unleavened bread. 
and on the night that they ate a feast, and on the night that they ate unleavened bread, the angel of the Lord passed over their city in Egypt. And God's judgment fell on Egypt. And now you have God's judgment coming again into the memories of Israel. You have the memory of a story of Sodom and of a man named Lot who ate a feast with messengers of the Lord and shared unleavened bread, who was called out of the sinful culture to share in a new community, a new community marked by God's favor. And the people who are reading Genesis 19 for the first time said, He's one of us. He's just like us. He has a salvation story just like we do. And so they would have said, we like Lot, but not so fast. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter, and they called to Lot, and they said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relations with them. We saw last week in Ezekiel 16 that God highlights the sin of Sodom as being that of pride and an oppression of the poor and the weak and the helpless. And their root sin beneath every other sin is pride. But root sins never go without also having grown fruit sins. And in Sodom, the root sin of pride grows into the fruit sin of sexual immorality. And the men of Sodom from every area of town, young and old, they gather at Lot's door and they say, send out these men. And so Lot, verse 6, went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, I've been asking people all week, hey, you ever heard about Lot? Yes. You ever, you ever heard that he offered his daughters to some men to have relations with them instead of some other guys? Yeah, I heard that. What do you think? Sounds like a terrible plan. Yes, it's a terrible plan. Sounds like maybe that wasn't what God thought was a good idea. Yes, bad idea. Sounds like a bad dad. Yes, bad dad. We don't have in Lot an example to follow in his plan to offer his daughters. What we have in Lot is an example for me and for you. That though I am a Christian, and though I am a follower of God, and though I am a part of the church, and though I am a part of God's covenant people, there still is in me the potential for horrible error 
there is still in me the potential for terrible sin and that the only difference between me and Lot is opportunity. Lot hatches a horrible plan. And there, but for the grace of God, go I. And you say, oh, you'd never do a thing like that. The same sinful nature that carried that Lot carried in him, I carry in me. And when I forget about Jesus, and when you forget about Jesus, there is nothing that you are incapable of. And there is also nothing from which God is not capable of extricating you from, and that's exactly what he does for Lot. How great is the wickedness of Sodom? So great that the most righteous person in the town is capable of terrible sin. And yet, God delivers Lot. He doesn't let him go through with this terrible plan. They said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. Lot is accused of being judgmental. He's accused of being holier than thou by the men of Sodom. And when it looked like Lot could find no escape, he is saved. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So the angels intervene. And for the first of several times throughout Genesis 19, Lot is rescued. In fact, Lot gets rescued again and again and again and again and again. It's just like me. God saved me once and for all in Christ, but God is saving me all the time from the sin within and the sin around and the sin that comes against me. And he rescues Lot. When Lot had hatched a horrible plan, God rescues him and he strikes these men these men who were blind spiritually, they're now blinded physically. And what do they do? Do they cry out and say, God, the God of Lot, have mercy on us. Save us from our blindness. No, they double down. They double down on their wickedness. They double down on their sinfulness. They weary themselves in sin, trying to find the doorway. And that is what happens with sin. It's never content. It wearies people. It grabs hold of people. And when sin gets its hooks in us, it drags us away from God. It drags us towards greater and greater bondage. If anyone sins, he is a slave to sin. And these men are wearied trying to find a way to satisfy their lusts. And the two men said to Lot, Whom else do you have here? A son-in-law, and your sons, and your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. 
For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-laws to be jesting. Lot is sent by the messengers of the Lord to be a messenger to his household, to go to all those whom he knows and tell them, get out of town, get out of the city. The Lord is going to bring destruction on this place. There is a wrath to come. Flee for safety. And his sons-in-law listened to the message that Lot brings to them. And he says, oh, Lot, you've got to be kidding me. You don't really believe in, in all that. I mean, you don't believe in all that stuff, do you? You've got to be kidding. I mean, look, we, we've lived here for a long time. I mean, yeah, we know. It's, it's, it's a pretty sinful place. I mean, it's pretty wicked. But, but listen, nothing ever really bad happens. Come on, you've got to be kidding me. God is going to destroy this place. You're joking. Lot is confronted again the next morning. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. The window of opportunity for his sons-in-law was open, and then it was closed. And when it was closed, the angel said, leave the city. Who? Whoever is with you. There will be a time when the message of the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth, and there will be a time when the message of the gospel will stop being proclaimed. And on the time, at the time when the message of the gospel is no longer proclaimed, there will be no more opportunity for escape. For it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. We live now in the time of telling the message of the gospel. We live now in the season when the way of escape is provided for men and women to escape the city of destruction. We live now when the gospel is being told everywhere. The gospel is running throughout all the world. But one day, the voice of the messengers will stop. And the opportunity to escape will be no more. He hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out and put him outside the city. Lot isn't smarter than everyone else. He's not holier than everyone else. He's not wiser than everyone else. He's not faster than everyone else. He experiences the compassion of God. 
he receives the favor of God. He is rescued. Oh, do you see the rescue? These two men, they put their hands on Lot. They grab his daughters-in-law by the hand. They get Lot's wife by the hand. And they carry them out of the city. Lot doesn't get out of town and say, that was pretty close. What do you think, daughters? What do you think, wife? I'm pretty smart. Aren't you glad you were with me? No. The opportunity for them that afternoon was thanks be to God for his compassion. Thanks be to God, though I live in a city of wickedness. Thanks be to God, even though I was so unwise that I even was willing to imperil my family. Thanks be to God that even though my future sons-in-law didn't believe, thanks be to God that he has had compassion upon us. His hope is in Christ. His hope is in Jesus. His hope is in the good news of the gospel, that compassion is offered to sinners. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will Overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please, let me escape there. Is it not small? That my life may be saved? And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there. For I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar, or small. Now, we, we started, and we heard one colloquialism. It was this. Hindsight is 2020. Now, there's another colloquialism, and it's this. Never look a gift horse in the mouth. Lot cannot I mean, he is constantly trying to save defeat out of the mouth of victory. He has been grabbed by the hand, taken out of town, placed outside the town, told to escape to the mountains, and he says, hold on, just wait one second. How about Zoar? How about this small place? And you know what God does? God says, yeah, that works. Go ahead. Go to Zoar. Escape there. Oh, the kindness, the mercy, the love, the favor, the compassion of God set upon Lot. Don't you see? Don't you see that the whole chapter is not giving you a second to believe that Lot is saved because he's a good person. 
The gospel is not that God loves good boys and girls. The gospel is that God loves sinners and chooses to put his favor, his grace, his compassion upon them. We are not saved because we're good. We're saved because of God's mercy. And so, Lot, when the sun had risen over the earth, it's about noon. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. It is an absolute, complete destruction. There is nothing left. And the Bible would later say that the cities were turned to dust. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And there are some who although they participate in the life of the people of God for a season, and though they have some evidence of the work of God in their life, it appears that they're followers of Jesus. It appears that they're saved. And yet, in the end, what's revealed in their life is that they don't have saving faith. Their faith is not resting in Christ alone because they look back. Lot's wife reveals that her identity really rests in Sodom and not in deliverance by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Abram, Abraham, arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like a smoke of a furnace. Then it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. God remembered Abraham. Lot is saved, not because he remembered Abraham, but because God remembered Abraham. Lot is delivered with his daughters, because God remembered his promise, because God is a promise-keeping God, Lot is saved. He's saved by grace. He's saved by faith in Christ, the Savior, 
Because God remembered Abraham, the promise that he had made to him in Genesis chapter 12, the promise he had renewed in Genesis chapter 15, the promise he had renewed again in Genesis chapter 17. Now in Genesis 19, he tells him, you are the one through whom I've made a promise. And so, a thousand years later, when God's people are languishing in bondage, in slavery in Egypt, we read again these words. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he moved again in salvation. He moved again in saving his people out of sin out of destruction and bringing them into this land of promise. Why? Because God remembers. Oh, dear people, as we continue to pray, as we continue to intercede, like Abraham who returns to the place where he prayed before the Lord for his brothers in Sodom, when we return again, how will we persevere How will we keep praying? How will we keep praying in that place of intercession for all those people that we identified last week? How will we keep going? Because the one whom we talk to in prayer is a promise-keeping God. So many times I've watched wives praying for husbands to come to faith Not for a year, not for five years, not for 10 years, not for 30 years. But then, God in his mercy remembers his promise. This is the story I have. That a young man on a college campus began to pray. That God would bring someone into Dave's life who would share the gospel with him. And he was willing to be the answer to his own prayer. And he prayed faithfully. Day one. Day two. Day three. Day five. Day ten. Day twenty. Day thirty. Nothing happened. He quit. Because he's just like me. And just like you. But God didn't quit. And 45 days after he began praying for me, I walked into a meeting of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and I heard the gospel. And just like Lot's sons-in-law, I said, you've got to be kidding. And two weeks later, I came back to Fellowship of Christian Athletes again and I heard the gospel. And I was saved as I put my faith in Jesus alone. Oh, do you have a story like that? Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God to come. Jesus saves. We can't save ourselves. Jesus saves. Luke 19.10 The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The bad news of the gospel is that we're all lost, just like Sodom, young and old. From every quarter of the city, we've all sinned. Romans 3.23, for 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all living in the city of destruction. We're all living in sin. But God has provided a Savior. Not a teacher. Not a healer. A Savior. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the bad news is that we all need saving. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is that God has done it. He's provided a way of escape. He's saved us from the wrath to come. He's saved us. Titus chapter 3. When the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared... You see it? The kindness of God. His great compassion. The same compassion that Lot experienced. He saved us. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we had done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. He did it for us. When we could not manufacture a record of righteousness that would enable us to stand before a holy, holy God, when the record of our sin demanded divine justice and wrath, when we were under the penalty of sin, Christ came to redeem us from that sin. Christ came to save us from that sin. Christ came to give us a righteousness. Christ came to give us a record of righteousness in which we can stand and be made right with God. Christ, having lived a perfect life, went to the cross. And on the cross, He paid the price. The fire, the brimstone, the calamity that fell upon Sodom was nothing compared to what Christ experienced on the cross. And Jesus Christ on the cross bore the full and awful penalty that our sins deserved. And from the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken for our sin. He was forsaken because our sin credited to him. He became our sin bearer and took upon himself the wrath of God. So that through him, through the gospel, through the message of salvation, we could be forgiven of all our sin. And we, through his righteousness could be declared righteous and have a standing before God where God could now say, you, though you sin, are right with me. Is that your story? Is that true of you? Do you know that there is a wrath to come? Do you know that we dwell in a city bound for destruction, but a way of escape has been provided. 
That way of escape is through Jesus. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. There's today and there's that day. And on that day, what we believe today matters. And if you're not believing today in the person, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, if you cannot say, I know whom I have believed, Oh, if, if you know what you believe, that's head knowledge. It may not be saving faith. If you know when you believed, that's temporary faith. It may not be saving faith. But if you can say with Paul, I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. And that whom is Jesus Christ. Then that is saving faith. Oh, dear people, place your trust in Jesus. He saves us from the wrath to come. And Jesus himself wants us to have hindsight certainty of a coming reality that one day he is coming again. One day, he will return to judge the world and establish the final state of things. And it will be just as in Sodom. On the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same. On the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Look ahead. And never look back. Look ahead and never look back. Remember Lot's wife. The angel told Lot and his family, Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back. And Lot's wife, still trusting in the life she had in Sodom, looked back. Without saving faith, she was lost that day. But I believe better things for you and for me. My hope is in Christ for you and for me. That fixing our eyes on him, we might escape the wrath to come. Oh, therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Hebrews 12, 
verse 1 and 2, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. We're just like Lot. We're just like Lot. There's sin in us. There's sin around us. There's sin that comes against us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look ahead and never look back. And you say, well, I don't know if I can. I, I don't know if I, it, it, what if I mess up? I mean, what if I look back just a little? What if I look away just for a second and Jesus comes back then? What will happen? Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What do you do? What do you do when, when you feel like you've given up, when you feel like you've given out, when you feel like you've come back to that well of sin one time too many? What do you do when you fail again? Consider him. Go back to the cross. Go back to the place of grace. Go back to the place of escape. Go back to the place where you found forgiveness and deliverance. Go back to Christ. Go back. Go back to Zohar. Go back to the promise to Abraham. Go back to Christ and Him crucified. Determine to know nothing amongst yourselves except Christ and Him crucified. When you find yourself distracted, when you find yourself forgetting about Jesus, look ahead and never look back. Find some people to come around you and tell you about the cross. And if they start to give you advice, well, you know, if you could do this or that or the other thing, and they don't tell you about Christ, find someone else to listen to and listen to someone who will tell you about the cross. I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Surround yourself with some people who can remind you of the great work of grace, the great work of the gospel, the great work of salvation that Jesus Christ saves us from the wrath to come. It's been a hard year. Harder times are coming. Fill up your heart with Christ. Fill up your life with Christ. Surround yourself with followers of Christ who will lift high the cross in your life. There's salvation in no other place. For there is no other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. Oh, flee to him. Jesus saves us 
from the wrath to come and look ahead at Jesus and never, never look back. Let's pray. Father, Jesus came once at a place and time of small things, little things, a little place like Zoar, where people in places of privilege and power missed him. But he revealed himself to weak people and sick people and hurting people and rejected people and sinful people and drunk people and lost people. And he didn't leave them that way. But he carried them in his heart and he carried them on his back to the cross and on that cross he did for us what we couldn't do. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. We find refuge and hope and comfort, and forgiveness, and righteousness in the cross of Christ alone. And if that's not your hope, that's not your trust today, then won't you trust Jesus today? Won't you admit to him, I know I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. I'm sorry for my sin. Jesus, I believe that your cross and your resurrection secures my forgiveness and your life secures my righteousness. Come into my life. You be my Savior and you now be my Lord. I'll follow you. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, history is moving each moment of each day towards your day when you will return again, not in meekness, not in weakness, not in humility, but in power to judge the nations and establish the final state of things. And on that day, on that day, it will matter what we believe today. So we choose to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and to go on believing right up until that day. We pray through Christ. Amen.